This is the message given by Pastor James Lim during the morning worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for December 3rd, 2023. The title of the message is The Son of the Woman. Good morning. It is always a honor, an honor and privilege to uh, stand before you to open God's Word. Uh, we... This morning, uh, if you would turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, we, uh, as is our custom, uh, take this month of December to begin an Advent series, and and all that Advent means is the coming, the the coming of Christ, um, his first coming, and then for us uh, on this side of the cross and resurrection, we also uh, consider his second coming. But uh, traditionally, Advent is celebrated in anticipation of Christmas. So in the same way that the people of old, the Old Testament saints, uh, hoped in the coming of, the, of Christ who comes at Christmas, uh, we kind of mi- we mirror that, we parallel that, and take this the next several weeks to prepare our hearts for the coming of Christmas Uh, and the coming of Christ in the world to take upon himself our humanity and to suffer and die and rise again so that we might be saved. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Let's ask him for his help. Our Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come and rest upon us to indwell in us and to illuminate uh, and enlighten our minds so that we would comprehend what we are about to hear. We ask for your Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth, to guide us uh, in the truths that we need to hear this morning, to transform us as we embark on this Advent series in preparation for Christmas. Father, would you be with me, your servant? Would you empower me with your Holy Spirit so that as I read and particularly and especially as I preach your word, your people would hear by faith and they would seek after you and obey you, and they would be changed. We ask, Lord, all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy word, beginning in verse 13 of chapter 3. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to, the, and to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. 
thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man at the east of the garden of Eden. He placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. The word of the Lord, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Amen. Well, we are going to begin a short series on Advent. And the theme of this Advent series leading up to uh, Christmas Eve is uh, the title is taken from Isaiah 9, 6, that for unto us a child is given uh, a son, uh, to, for, un, for unto us a child is born, uh, a son is given. We're going to be looking at the advent of the Son of God. We're going to look at how the hope of Christmas uh, promised so many years ago Uh, Even at the creation of the world, a son is given, a Christmas son, uh, in which God promises a son who would save people from their sins. And so we're going to celebrate the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, with Christmas in mind. And it's when we celebrate what Christmas is all about, the incarnation birth of of our Lord and Savior and the salvation that we have in him. And it's when we remember uh, that God gave his one and only son. That's what Christmas is about. The giving of his one and only son to become one of us so that he would take our place, to take our sin, and to save us from it. Over the next few weeks, we'll look at the, the promise of God's son in the son of Abraham, Uh, in the the son of um, Joseph, the son of uh, David, and then the fulfillment of that son. So as we begin our Advent series, you might say that the Christmas story didn't just begin 2,000 years ago uh, in in a cold, dark, dreary town known as Bethlehem, in a cold, dreary manger and, and stable 2,000 years ago, right? The Christmas story doesn't begin with a manger. It actually begins way before that in a garden. Not in Bethlehem, but in Eden. This morning, we read this section in Genesis 3, and I'm going to concentrate particularly on Genesis 3.15, the, the proto-evangelium, the, the the first preaching of the gospel. And not only is it the first preaching of the gospel, but it is the first promise of the Christmas story. That Christmas begins in that first preaching in the promise 
of God giving a son who would save us from our sins. And so let's look at this first promise of Christmas. Uh, This first promise first comes in the context of sin and death, right? This is why we need a son to save us. When Adam and Eve fell, they plunged us all into the misery of sin and death. Adam was the first man, and because he was the first man, he was a representative man, that he was the one who, in his own person, in everything that he did, he did in our place for us. And everything that he received, everything that happened to him, is going to be passed on to us. Uh, This is what uh, we call in uh, Christian theology a federal head, a federal representative, that he represents all of humanity in his person. And so when he fell, we all fell in him. The, say, the, the Puritans would say as a short maxim, in Adam's fall sinned we all. And this resulted in the consequences of sin, leading to death, disease, suffering. Paul says in Romans 5.12, he puts it this way, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, referring to Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Do you see that? When Adam sinned uh, in him as if he represented us, we all sinned. And this is why there's suffering and disease and death. That we were created, this is not what we were originally created for, We were created in God's image to live forever in a relationship with him. But when Adam sinned, he and all of us in him were then cut off from this relationship with God. We were cut off from fellowship and communion with God, who is the Lord and giver of life. You know, we all became like a rose that is cut from from the bush, from that life-giving connection. Uh, When Adam sinned, it was like uh, we were cut off as a collective humanity in him. We were cut off from from the God who is the Lord and giver of life. And we, we not only did we die spiritually, but we are slowly dying physically. That's how sin uh, brought death into the world. And then... Not only is there the consequences of sin, but there's the cur- part of that is the curse of sin. And this is what we see throughout Genesis 3. Uh, there's the curse against the serpent in verses 14 and then 15. And there's the curse against the woman where childbirth is going to be um, painful and difficult. And then there's the curse against Adam that out of the, the sweat of his face, he is going to uh, eat bread that there's going to be thorns and thistles that are going to come up from the earth, that everything is cursed as a result of this first sin. And, and, um, and so it's important to note the universality of the curse of sin. All people throughout the world, throughout history, and the whole world in, in some sense has fallen under this curse. And this is important because the first promise of the gospel, the first promise of salvation comes through a son, right? right? You, you, there will be enmity between your offspring 
talking to the serpent. It all comes in the midst of a curse. Right? Uh, the Lord said to the serpent, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring, right? Your offspring, your son, and her offspring, her son. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Do you see that? Part of the curse against the serpent is the blessing of a son. And in the midst of the blessing of that son is the curse. He shall bruise, literally crush, your head. And then here comes the curse through which that blessing comes. And you shall crush his heel. Uh, Embedded deep in this first promise is the idea that salvation will come out of suffering. That blessing will come out of curse. And life out of death. And then out of the context of this sin, right, the consequences and the curse of sin, we then have the promise of Christmas that leads us to the promise of a son who is born of a woman. And I want us to see three very important truths that arise from this promise of a son in verse 15. First, he is going to be a divine and human son. Look at what what God says here, the offspring of the woman, right? Literally the seed, and it's going to be, uh, later on we see in the, in the subsequent books of the Bible and in redemptive history that this offspring is, the seed is going to be a son, a son of a woman, and of the woman, right? The first woman, Eve. And that means he is going to be made like us in every way. And it's this promise that we see throughout the rest of Scripture. Uh, Isaiah 9, 6, again, For unto us a child is born, a son. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Right? And so you have this, this woman, this, this son who's born of a woman with the nature of, of a woman. That means he's going to be fully human. Right? A, a child born just like us. But not only is he going to be fully human, but he's only also going to be fully divine. Isaiah 9.6 goes on to say, And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, listen, Mighty God. And here we begin to see uh, the, the seed of the mystery or an expansion of the mystery of, of the incarnation begun in Genesis 3.15 here. That the same child born of a woman is going to be fully human and then he's also going to take on the name Mighty God, right? Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There's something divine about this human son. John says, further expands on this, this idea uh, in, in Genesis, uh, sorry, in John, in the Gospel of John, chapter one, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That He took upon Himself our humanity. The Son of God became a Son of Man, and it is from this very first promise of God's Son. Uh, in seed form here in Genesis 3.15 that Paul points us to then in its fulfillment in Galatians 4.4. 4. 
But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, and notice the language, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. And it's where we see the importance then of him being a son. He goes on to say there in Galatians, for God sent forth his son, why? To redeem those who were under the law. Why? So that they might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer slaves, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You see, Christmas is when God sends his one and only son to make sinners into his adopted sons and daughters. So you have that that divine human son. And as a consequence of that divine human son, uh, secondly, he's going to be a sympathetic son. This is why he took upon himself our humanity, why he became like one of us, why he became one of us, is that he was uh, born of a woman just like we were, we are, so that he would be fully God and fully man in order then to sympathize with us in our humanity. This is the whole point of of the book of Hebrews, particularly in chapter four. Uh, The writer of Hebrews says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. And it's because he sympathizes with us that we can then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace for help in our time of need. And this means that we have an unparalleled resource in the midst of, of our pain and suffering. Right? In other words, Christianity, this is what makes Christianity absolutely unique among the religions and ideologies and philosophies of the world. That God actually became one of us. Not only did he walk in our shoes, he walked in our feet. Uh, he lived in our humanity. He experienced everything that we experience except sin. Tim Keller says this, the doctrine of the incarnation gives us a resource in our suffering that is perhaps more valuable than an explanation. God descended into the world and became vulnerable and suffered and died himself. He is God with us. He gives us his personal presence in our suffering. Only Christianity adds courage to God's list of attributes. He knows what it's like to experience hunger, danger, injustice, rejection, torture, suffering, and death. No other God claims to understand uh, the human condition the way that the incarnation of Christ does. Thirdly, not only is it the... uh, the, um, The divine human son, through then comes the sympathetic son, then leads us to Jesus being the sacrificial son. At the heart of the incarnation is the idea that Jesus is fully God and fully man, then in order to be 
a suitable substitutionary sacrifice in our place. He took our humanity in order to take our human sin, to bear them in his own body and to take our place, to to pay our penalty and to suffer our punishment. This is the whole point of Hebrews 2, uh, grounded in Genesis 3.15 here. This is why the Old Testament animal sacrifices, right, the writer of Hebrews says that the blood of bulls and goats could never take away human sin. Uh, The Old Testament animal sacrifices were just a type, a shadow, an illustration, if you will, that somebody else has to take your place and suffer the punishment that you deserve. And in the Old Testament, it was the animals who take our place. So that our sins would be laid on that animal and then the animal would suffer uh, death because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And so when the, in the Old Testament, when the one who gave the animal saw the animal dying in his place, they would say to themselves, oh, that's what I deserved, but the animal took it instead of me. And then thousands of years later or hundreds of years later in the coming of Christ, you have the context of John the Baptist who encounters Jesus, the Messiah, and he says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That the promise embedded in the animal sacrifices, the substitutionary sacrifices have been fulfilled that now a true Lamb of God made in our humanity who took upon himself our humanity, uh, who then can take our sins and then he dies in our place like like the animals did in the Old Testament. That Jesus, the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Why? In order to make propitiation for the sins of the people in order to be in order to make an atoning sacrifice in the place of his people and it's through this substitutionary sacrifice that we we see the son's victory over satan and this is what genesis 3:15 promises that the son of eve the son of the woman will crush the head of the son of the serpent, and the son of the serpent will bruise the head of the son of the woman. See, this is the paradox and the promise of Christianity and of Christmas. That he who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, 1 Peter 3.18. Friends, brothers and sisters, if Christmas is about the giving of a son uh, as the savior of sinners, uh, and why we celebrate Christmas with the giving of gifts, it reminds us that the Christmas gift that God gives to us in his son is a free gift a gift that is given to us to be received by grace through faith. 
not of anything that we do to earn or work for that grace, but simply with an empty hand, just like we receive any other gift. Like an empty hand because we don't have it, and therefore we need it, and God gives it to us. And here he offers us, in Genesis 3.15, the great promise fulfilled in the Gospels of the free gift of his one and only Son, And it is this free gift that God offers to you this morning. If you would acknowledge that you need him, that you are a sinner who deserves God's just punishment and wrath, but that Jesus came to take upon himself your humanity so that he can take your sins and bear the punishment that you deserve that he became as if, you, as if to say the Lamb of God, the substitute who takes away not only the sin of the world but your sin if you'd put your faith in him. So that when he died, your sins were once and for all dealt with. They were done away with. So that you are forgiven of all of your sins. And the righteousness, the perfect life that Jesus lived in your place then by faith is also given to you. He takes our sin, we receive his righteousness so that when we stand before God in our humanity, we stand before it in Christ and we stand then righteous in God's sight, forgiven, accepted, and adopted because the son died to make sinners into sons and daughters and that's you and me. And he offers that gift to you this morning. If you haven't received that gift of his son, uh, would you put your faith and receive him now? This is the promise of Advent, the promise of Christmas. That Jesus takes the curse that we deserve for our sins so that in Christ, in him, we might have the blessings of his redemption and life. Paul puts it so well in Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And this is why we sing, friends, brothers and sisters, every Christmas, the wonderful uh, words of that great Christmas song. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for, we thank you for the gospel in which you promised from the very beginning that a son would come and save us from the curse of sin. Now, O Lord, as we approach Christmas, would you make your blessings flow as far as the curse is found 
in our lives and throughout the world. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.